Welcome to the Ed Milet Show. This podcast is for those who want to do more, see more, and be more. Okay, welcome back to Max Out, everybody. Today is a program that you're going to want to share with everybody that you love, everybody that you care about. It's going to be one of the most inspirational hours you've ever spent in your life because of the gentleman to my left, true American hero, even though he won't admit that he is. Um, The man to my left is Israel Del Toro. Let me tell you about him. Israel is a Purple Heart recipient, um, has a Bronze Star, and has become kind of a worldwide known figure um, because he had an IED go off in a Humvee that he was in in the military and ended up having about 80% of his body burned and has turned his life into a testimony of what you can do when you go through a difficult event and turn it around and inspire millions of people. And so um, I'm really honored. Thank you for your service, number one. And uh, and most importantly, thank you for being here today. So thanks, brother, oh, for being thanks, here. Man. Thanks for inviting me. It's good yeah. to have you. Uh, those of you that are listening to this in the audio, I would challenge you um, at some point today to go see the YouTube version so that you can get an idea of some of the B-roll that we're feeding in and you can get a better flavor for some of the things that Israel's um, overcome and that he's been through. So thanks for being here, brother. That's my pleasure. Super it's, excited, man. I wish it could have been nicer weather. I know. Well, you yeah. come all the way here and it's raining in Laguna Beach. It's no bueno, so... <laughs> So let's get into a couple things here. Um, you know, I want to, before the military, because I, I, you know, we've got to know each other. We share a birthday, right. so there's a brotherhood there. And um, we've got to know each other now for the last six, seven weeks pretty well, and we've talked several times. But what I didn't know is that, you know, your childhood wasn't the easiest childhood even before we get to what happened uh, in the military. You're, tell us a little bit, tell, share with the audience a little bit about you had to grow up pretty young. So you lost your dad and your mom basically in back-to-back years as a young man. So tell them about that. Yeah, you know, I lost my dad when I was 12, mm-hmm. uh, January of, of 88. And then I ended up losing my mom July of 89. Mm. Uh, I had just turned, uh, you know, 14. Wow. So, yeah, I had to grow up real quick, uh, especially after I lost my mom. Yeah. You know, because I'm the oldest of four. Me too. Um, and it's something something I took that what my dad told me, which is weird, you know. Mm. I was the last one to speak to him. He had a heart attack, right? Yeah, he had a heart attack. He was, well, for a long time, my dad had respiratory problems. Like the last year and a half that I remember mm. of his life, he wasn't working anymore. He was on a respirator. Mm. And he had gone to Mexico to see if there was anything for him to do. Okay. They could do anything for him out there. And he left after Christmas. Uh, and then, you know, he called. Uh, this was in January. Uh, he calls, talks to her when I'm the last one to speak to him. And he tells me, you know, after talking to him and right before we hang up, he's like, he tells me, hey. And I was like, but, he, you know, he says in Spanish, like, promise that you always take care of your family. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why did he say that? Mm-hmm. It was weird. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the next day, you know, we're coming home from school. My mom picked us all up. And two of my cousins uh, that are older, you know, they're, they're in their 20s, uh, are sitting there at the house waiting for us. And, you know, I'm just happy to see my cousins. Yeah. And they take us into the house and they tell us to go to the room. And they're talking to my mom and I'm looking. And they're in the dining room and I see my mom break down. And I knew instantly Man. that I lost my dad. Oh. 
So, you know, after losing my mom, that's when I really took to heart of those words of my dad, you know, you know, take care of my brothers and sisters, you know, because it was a promise that my dad asked me to Your mom was a drunk driver, correct? Drunk driver, yeah. She was, uh, she got hit on Memorial Day. Uh, uh, she was on a motorcycle uh, with the guy she was dating at the time, and drunk driver hit her. Mm. Uh, she wasn't wearing a helmet. She flew, hit, and then in July is when she passed away. Deuce. This, so this has not always been like the easiest road for you. I mean, you, you lose your dad, then you lose your mom. What do you, honestly, if you go back to that, because there's people listening to this that have gone through some type of loss right. that they think significant, right. right? They just lost a relationship there and they lost a business they've had. You're this little boy, you're 14 years old, you've lost your mother and your father in back-to-back -back years of your life. Your dad's words are ringing in your ear to take care of yeah. your family. What, what, what were you thinking then? Were, did you make a conscious decision like, I'm gonna take care of my family? Or? Yeah, I made a conscious, like, you know, when I, my dad was everything for me. He, he was my hero. Mm. I followed him everywhere. Mm. Uh, so when he asked me to do that, I was like, you know, I, I gotta do it. Mm. So, you know, I, I was the oldest and now my grandparents are taking care of us. And you know, they're two generations behind. Yeah. All of us were athletes, all, you know, me, my sister, my brother, my little sister, you know, she was still six, seven years old, so she wouldn't mm -hmm. get into sports, but the rest of us were. So my grandparents were, my grandpa was very old fashioned. Mm -hmm. You know, he believed that the, the girl stays in the house, mm -hmm. cleans the house, cooks, cleans. Mm -hmm. And so my sister wasn't allowed to play sports anymore. So. I had to be that a lot of time that in between, yeah. For my, you know, for my grandparents and my brothers and sisters, like, hey, grandma, grandpa, try and understand. Mm. So I, you know, I had to do that a lot. You grew up quick, I would imagine. I did, and for a long time, I thought I was cursed. Mm. I really did, because anytime I had a a high in my life, something brought me right back down. You know, like when my dad passed away. Uh, before that, I went to the school that finally all my friends were at. Mm. And then, you know, my dad dies, mm. you know. I'm about to start high school, graduate in eighth grade. Mm. Mom gets killed. Uh, so, and that's just the beginning, you know, later on, there's even more incidents that mm. happen in my life. And I'm like, why mm. is this happening to me? I wonder if, in hindsight, if any of those things prepared you for the ultimate difficult incident that happened in your life. And, and, I, and I believe that. I really, I believe that now that you know, the big man up there probably had a plan, you know, yeah. throw all these obstacles in front of me. Yeah. Because he probably knew what was going to happen and yeah. to get me prepared to overcome this, the major thing that was going to happen to me it's, when I got it's hurt. It's interesting because I always say, it's easy for me to say, but that's actually not easy. It's easy to say and not easy to believe, but I actually believe things in our lives happen for us and not to us. That's so difficult, especially when the circumstances are extreme of losing a, a parent and then losing another one. But in hindsight, it's almost always true. So let's fast forward a little bit. You get into the Air Force and tell us about your role in the Air Force a little bit because you were a badass, are a badass. <laughs> but tell them what you did in the Air Force and then lead us to what happened in 2005. Uh, well, when I joined the military, I'm the first of my family to join. You know, what's the odds of the first one to join and then the first one get hurt? Yeah. Uh, but I, I, when I got, came in, I wanted to do something challenging. Mm. Not to take away that all the other career fields in the military aren't challenging, but I just, I wanted to be that dude when I'm old in a, in a rocking chair 
and with a maybe a stogie in my mouth yeah. and my grandchildren and great grandchildren asked me you know grandpa what you do in the military i want to be that guy and be able to say i kid a lot of mofos when i was in the military <laughs> you know i wanted to be that dude right. you know you know right. i grew up you know watching rambo yeah. In the 80s, who did not want to be Rambo? Yeah. You know, long hair, bandana, yeah. you know, muscle head. <laughs> who didn't want to be, you know, when I was younger, I might have had the longer hair, but I don't have that stuff anymore. Right, right, right. So I wanted to do something like that. So I, uh, when I was in basic, uh, uh, TACP recruiter, that's my career field, TACP, which stands yep. for Tactical Air Control Party, came and, you know, this guy just was all badged out. Ranger, you know, a paratrooper, you know, he had all these badges. He had his brayon. I mean, he just, he looked like Rambo. Okay. And he's just telling us what you could do in the, mm-hmm. you know, this job. Jump out of planes, you know, go to, you know, school school, Halo school, uh, sniper, you know, call in airstrikes. You know, you are the man on the ground. I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, I want to do that. Really? Uh, so, you mm-hmm. know, they interview you, and then you got to take a PT test, mm-hmm. you know, physical training to see how you well, mm-hmm. do well. And I got selected, and mm-hmm. then I headed off to tech school and, you know, graduated, got my beret, mm-hmm. and got to my assignment and started getting qualified to become that guy to call in the airstrikes. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I went to other, you know, schools, mm-hmm. uh, qualifications that I needed. And then I became a fully qualified JTAC. And... And from there, you know, of course, I deployed to multiple locations. And then, you know, eventually I ended up in Afghanistan where I, I got hurt. Yeah. Yeah. But. So everyone just should know this, too, because my introductions trickle throughout the interview. Yeah. But you're talking about a senior master sergeant as of this year, right? You're talking about it. I made it last year. Yeah, last, last year. Last March, yeah. So you're talking about a man who's accomplished so much in his career there as well. And we'll talk a little bit later about a Purple Heart and a Bronze Star. <laughs> But take us through, It's I think it's December 4th, right? Uh-huh. 2005. 2005. That's a day that um, certainly some change happened in your life. So tell, share with everybody what happened that day. Uh, that day, we had been in Afghanistan. We are mm-hmm. in the southeast quarter uh, in the Hamar province of Afghanistan, one of the more, you know, dangerous areas. Mm-hmm. And we had, I was out there with a scout team, and our mission was to capture or kill this high-value target out there and destroy a supply route that the Taliban was using. Like I said, we had already been out there a couple days, and the day I got hurt, our team had split in two. Uh, Half of my team was up on the mountain, and my team was Overwatch. And we're coming back. Like I said, we're already out there for a while back to go pick up the guys up on the mountain. And we're driving, and, and... and an up armor Humvee. And the weird thing about it, that was the first time in country I was in an up armor Humvee. No way. Usually I was in a soft skin, I was on the dirt bikes, ATVs, you know, mm. foot. That day I was in an up armor Humvee. And we're driving and we cross this creek and two, no more than two, about 200 meters that we cross this creek until I feel an intense heat blast on my left side. I'm like, holy crap, I just got hit. Mm. And people talk about their life flash in front of them when stuff like that happens. And I never believed that. Mm. But when I got hit, all these images started flashing. It it was like boom, 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 picture, picture, picture. Of what? Of different events in my life. Mm. But the three distinct ones that I remember are the first one 
was me and my wife finally going to get married by the church, mm. you know, after our third attempt. Because every time we tried, I got deployed and stuff like that. Yeah. <coughs> uh, then flash, flash, flash. Next one is me and her honeymoon in Greece. Mm. Uh, but the last one was uh, me and my son. Mm. You know, me teaching him to play ball because I played ball all my life, baseball. Mm. And then something clicked. Mm. <coughs> uh, I had to get out of this truck. Mm. And I popped the door open, got out. But when I got out, I was on fire from head to toe. Head to toe. And, and it's funny when I finally when I finally told my son this uh, how I got hurt because for a while I never told him. And it's amazing how kids uh, try and put things together how they know it. So when I told him I was on fire, my son was like, "So, Dad, you were like the Human Torch of the Fantastic Four? Wow. And I'm like, "Yeah, kind of, son. I just couldn't fly." <laughs> no, but you know, kids like that are very resilient. Mm-hmm. But you know, when I got out of the truck, I. Like I said, I was on fire from head to toe, mm. but I knew that creek was behind me. So I turned, run, but the flames overtook me and, mm. I, and I collapsed. And I'm laying there thinking I want to die. And I'm thinking, I broke my promise to my family that I always come back. I broke my promise to my son that I'll never let him grow up without his dad like I did. But worst of all, I broke my promise to my dad that I always take care of my family. Mm. So I'm laying there, you know, just burning. And then that's when one of my teammates yells, T, you're not gonna die here. Helps me up and we both jump into the creek to extinguish the flames. Mm. And the reason why he jumped was when he was helping me, I lit him on fire for a little bit. I was like, my bad dude, you know. And as we're laying there, I look at him. I was like, man, this sucks. And he was like, are you trying to be funny, bro? Mm-hmm. I was like, no, man. I was like, I just got blown up. I was on fire. I had to jump in a freezing cold creek in the middle of December in Afghanistan. And I don't know if it was just me trying to calm the situation subconsciously. Because yeah. as soon as I got hit, my team that we're going to pick up got hit with a crossfire. And now they're calling for help. Wow. I was like, we need gunslinger. That was my call sign at the time for CAS, close air support. So even though I was hurt, I had to figure out what to do. Mm. You know, that, those words of my dad, take care of your family, has evolved. It's not just my brothers and sisters, my wife, my son. It's now anyone that needs my help, mm. my teammates, they're my family. Mm. So I had to figure out what to do. My radios were destroyed, my backup radios were destroyed. Luckily there was another vehicle behind us and I started telling one of the other team members, hey man, repeat everything I say so we can get some help for our teammates. At the same time, my medic's trying to take care of me and I'm like, nah, dude, I'm okay. Yeah, my leg hurts a little bit, but I, had, I looked at myself, all my body parts are, are here. I probably have some singe hair, singe eyebrows. All I had to like, cut off uh, these shorts I had on underneath. Uh, we call them ranger panties. Mm-hmm. They're running shorts. I was like, cut them off because the elastic's burning me. Wow. And I was like, take care of our other teammate that was the gunner. He got blown out and the truck had run over his legs, Bailey. And it was funny when uh, the medic came to visit me in the hospital. He was like, dude, watching you try and call an airstrike butt naked was the 
And at the right. time, it wasn't funny, but now thinking about it, right. I was like, it was pretty funny watching you really? trying to do that. Wow. And, and as I'm repeating or saying the words that we need to get help, uh, by the time the last phrase came out that the other team member had to repeat, you know, I started getting scared. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll never stand in front of everyone and tell them that. I was like this brave guy that wasn't scared, you know, just went out and did his mission. I got scared because I started having a hard time breathing. Mm -hmm. uh, I was, the pain, I guess, was suddenly in. All the adrenaline was finally run, uh, leaving the body. And I, I wanted to rest. And I was like, man, what's taking this helicopter so long to get here? Mm -hmm. You know, the aircraft were coming to help my teammates, but now I'm thinking, where's the medevac? Mm -hmm. And I, I was getting scared. And then I told the medics, like, hey, man, I need to sleep. Let me, or not sleep, let me rest. Let me close my eyes for a little bit. Because mm. even though I thought I wasn't that badly hurt, he knew I was. Yeah. He knew if he let me fall asleep, I'm not going to wake up. Yeah. So, you know, when we're, when we're out there, we're teammates. We talk about our lives, what had happened to us and stuff like that. Uh, so he knew that I had lost my dad and I had always made that promise. He knew that. Yeah, because we talked about it. You know, mm -hmm. when we're sitting there, not anything yeah. going out, you know, you BS, you know, yeah. you're brothers. Yeah. And then I said, I'll never let my son grow up with that like I did. So, you know, when he's trying to motivate me, he's like, come on, DT, fight. Don't, don't fall asleep. Stay up, stay up. Mm. And I was like, man, I'm just tired. Let me sleep. And then he starts, come on, DT, fight for your son. Wow. You said you'll never let him grow up with his dad like you did. Come on, dude, fight. And he's making me yell it, fight for your son, fight, fight, buddy. And then he says the weirdest thing. He's like, come on, DT, fight for your son so you can teach him to be a pimp. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, did he just really just say that? <laughs> scrambles you. And yeah, it scrambles yeah. your head. Yeah. And then he says it again. I was right. like, so there I am, mm. butt naked in Afghanistan, you know, mm. at the top of my lungs, I got to fight for my son, teach him to be a pimp. Mm. That's real. But you know what? You do whatever you can to keep your teammate going. Wow. And that's what kept me going till the helicopter came. And I remember them trying to carry me. I'm like, oh, hell no, dude. I walked into this fight. I'm going to walk out. So I got up, hobbled. Did you really? Yeah. Got into the helicopter. Oh, my God. Thinking to myself, thank God, I'm just going to be able to relax now. Yeah. And I remember the flight landing at our forward operating base. Uh going into the field hospital, seeing a couple of my other teammates there, uh, seeing what, how am I doing, uh, seeing the doc cut off my watch and telling me you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And that was December 4th, 2005. I wake up March 2006. So I thought I've, I thought I've heard my, the most incredible stories on this show. But that is the most incredible story. And it's just the first chapter of the story. But you guys all need to know something, just interject. He doesn't talk about this. This isn't something you're gonna go hear everywhere. And I, I have to go back. The instant this happens, I think it's amazing that you have these conscious three thoughts about your dad and your son. Like, I think that's incredible. I cannot get over the fact that after you've been burned this badly, you're laying there naked, that you're still calling out orders. You think you have chaos in your life? You think you're having a bad day at the office? You think you've had a bad week? I hope you just heard this story. 
those of you, the young people that are listening to this, that are going through a difficult time at school or something's not going good or maybe you're being bullied or there's something with your grades. Yeah, that's bad, but compared to what, right? And so now he says, it's December 4th, he wakes up in March, right? So now there's the wake up, right? So this event takes place. I don't think someone could tell the story better than you just did. What is it like now when you wake up in March? Talk about the condition you're in, what your thoughts are when you open your eyes, what do you see and what are you thinking? Uh, when I finally wake up, you know, the doctors are there and I remember my wife being there and one of my other teammates being there. Cause when I got hurt, you know, my teammates from all parts of the world came to be by my side, but most importantly be there for my wife and for my son. So she was never left alone because my wife didn't speak very good English at the time. Okay. So they got her a translator. One of my teammates translated for her and all that. But when I woke up, the doctor started asking me, do you know where you're at? I was like, Afghanistan? It's like, no. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you know the date? I'm like, December or something. And they're like, no, it's March. So I'm like, oh. now everything's okay. And so they started telling me what, ha- what had happened. Uh, you know, the work. The worst part about it, about everything that I felt bad about is when they tell me when they notified my wife. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, yeah. Because they notified her December 5th. That happens to be my wife's birthday. And I'm like, great, that's an amazing birthday gift I just gave my wife. Were you like this before, Israel, where everything that's happening, you're thinking about the impact on other people? Because you're on fire you're blown up and you're thinking about your dad and your son and other people. And then when you wake up, you're thinking about your wife's birthday. Were you always like this? I I, I guess I've always have been, you know, I always, you know, again, I I truly believe in those words my dad told me, Mm -hmm. take care of your family. And and that requires me sometimes to sacrifice things, Mm -hmm. which, you know, in my young years, you know, I didn't say anything about, but I gave up a full academic scholarship at the University of Illinois after my sophomore year when my grandma got cancer. My grandfather already had a stroke my freshman year. I was like, you know what? I gotta help my, my, my brothers and sisters uh, and my grandparents because they can't do it. Uh, but so I've always, I've always thought that way because I, I really do live by those words of my dad. It's amazing, brother. Uh, you're burning to death essentially in this yeah. river at the time. You could have died and you're thinking about your, your brothers in, in, on your team. I mean, yeah. I think it's just, it's just amazing to me. So, um, gosh, so so it's her birthday. You're thinking about what a terrible it, birthday gift I yeah, gave her. Yeah, right? you know, terrible birthday gift I gave her. But I had already always prepped her. Mm-hmm. I always told her, you know, if you get a phone call, something probably had happened. But if you get teammates showing up there with the priest, then I'm with my parents. Uh, but when I wake up, so but like I said, she was prepared. She knew, mm-hmm. okay, what's happened? They tell her, and of course, she gets comes by my side. Uh, but when I wake up, you know, they start telling me, yeah, yes, Sergeant Toro, we only give you a 15% chance to live. 15. 15. 80% of your body has 30 degree burns. You almost died in those three times. Mm-hmm. And yeah, now you're awake. You still got a long recovery. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in here for another year and a half. Uh, you may not walk again. You're going to be on a respirator for the rest of your life and your military career's pretty much over. And they're waiting to see what I'm gonna say. Mm. And I, I couldn't talk, 
because I had a, a trach in my throat yep. to help me breathe. And I'm looking around, I'm noticing, okay, why can't I move? And I was like, I was like, why am I looking like I'm missing body parts now? Because when I went to mm-hmm. sleep, I had everything. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, they're waiting to see what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. And I really can't, I really don't want to repeat, you can repeat the it. colorful words I wanted you to say. Uh, but I told him you can go to fucking hell. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to accept that. Mm. I've never accepted what other people say should be my diagnosis. Mm. I didn't accept it when, you know, when I was younger, when a kid growing up on, you know, on the south side of Chicago without parents. Mm. You know, I should have been a gangbanger or drug dealer. Right. But I was neither. You know, graduating high school, you know, same thing. It's like, oh, it's, you know, maybe you should try junior college. No. Mm. Full academic scholarship to the University of Illinois. So why am I now going to accept these doctors' diagnosis of me? So after that, every day I freaking pushed every single day. Mm. Were you, I want to ask you, when the first, when the incident happened, you described that situation, you said there was adrenaline. When the adrenaline went off, was the pain incredible? And secondly, what was the pain like physically when you woke up? Uh, when the adrenaline started going away, I didn't feel too much pain. Okay. It was more, I was having a hard time breathing, okay. and I was tired. When I woke up, that's when I felt the pain. Okay. I mean, when, when you're severely burned, mm-hmm. uh, what kills the burn patients isn't the burns, it's an infection. So what they have to do so you don't get inf- any infections is that you, you literally get skinned alive. And after you get skinned alive, they got to keep the room at a 97 degree at all time. And anyone that comes in there has to be covered from head to toe. I went from a 200 pound muscle head mm. to 115 pounds and I couldn't lift my arms. Mm. Uh, so I had a, I do, I did have down days, but yeah. luckily I had friends there. I had my family there because mm. no one can do it on their own. They can't. Yeah. You have to have help. Uh, no matter how strong you are, you think you are. You always need help. And the day you're talking about my, my darkest day, because people ask me, did you ever wish you wanted to die? And I was like, no. Mm-hmm. Not once, except for this day. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I, think I do call it my darkest hour. When you're severely burned, they cover the mirrors. Because they want to ease you into your transition, what you look like now. Mm-hmm. And I knew I didn't look the same. Obviously, I could look at my body. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm missing fingers, you know, stuff like that. But I'm thinking, well, maybe my face may kind of look the same. Because again, I didn't see what the burns did. I was like, you know, I probably have singed stuff, mm-hmm. but I, I think I'm, I kind of kind of look the same. Mm-hmm. So the day I saw myself, I was going to the restroom, and my wife was helping me, and Gary, my therapist, who I call my guardian angel, this six foot six, bald white dude. I mean, it was amazing, and they were helping me, and I slipped, and I was about to fall, and they grabbed me. But as I grab me, I don't know who grabbed the towel off the mirror, falls off, and I see myself. Mm-hmm. And, and I break down. Mm-hmm. And I tell him, I should have died. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys should have let me die out there. I should be buried with my teammates, you know, the ones that have passed before me. Mm-hmm. I was like, why did you let me live? Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't a vanity thing. It wasn't that at all. It was, man, if I'm a 
dirty old man at the time. And if I think I'm a monster, you know, what's my three-year-old son gonna think, you know? Mm. He was my everything, he was my strength. Mm. You know, he, he was my spark. Mm. So the, the thought of him being terrified of me and not wanting to be around me, mm. crushed me. Mm. And, and I told him, I should have died out there. Mm. I should have died. Mm. And, uh, and of course, Gary and my wife, they're trying to console me. It's like, DT, you can't give up, dude. Mm -hmm. You don't know how many people you inspire, mm -hmm. how you just don't give up. Every day, you tell people to get you up, get you stretching, going through some of the most intense pain a human go through. Mm -hmm. It's like, you don't just inspire the staff, mm -hmm. but you inspire all these other wounded guys in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I want to die. Mm -hmm. And it, like for 40 something minutes, I was just mm. in the bathroom sitting, mm. just wishing I was dying. Mm. I wish I died. And uh, as you can tell still, you know, mm -hmm. it's been freaking a couple of years, but it's still yeah, thinking sure. of it. Sure. Uh, it hits me. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, Gary says like, cause he knew why I was, sure. I wanted to die. You know, cause I was like, my son's gonna be terrified of me. Mm -hmm. And he says, DT, all your son wants is his dad back, dude. Yeah. That's all he wants. Trust me. Yeah. I was like, no, he's going to be terrified of me. Mm. And it took another 10, 15 minutes uh, to be able to, okay, get back on the horse. Mm. But that thought was always in the back of my head. It's like, yeah. the first time I see him, is he going to be terrified of me? Mm. Yeah. So, but, What was it? Uh, I appreciate you telling everybody that, too. Um, what was it like when he first saw you? Uh, so, like I, I said earlier, I woke up March of 06, and after that, those grim diagnosis of how I'll be here for another year and a half, not walk again, be on a rest for the rest of my life. I, um, two months later, I left that hospital walking. Oh my gosh, out. it was two months later. Yeah, two months later, I left that hospital. Dude, you're such a freaking badass. Uh, so you had one hour of that moment basically yeah. and the entire time and it's a dramatic moment still here we go many years later it affects you in that moment why do you think by the way that it makes you emotional like this right now do you think it's because of you going back to what you felt then how scary it is to think that you thought those thoughts it was going back to that moment yeah the fear of that you yeah. know my son it was all still about family for you yeah, be terrified of me mm -hmm. so was he well Two you know, months later, so you get out later, of there a year, you're out of there a year and four months sooner than they told you you yeah. basically would be. I, I walk into the house and when I walk in, you know, I could, I could walk, but I couldn't walk distance because what was hurting me was my conditioning. Okay. Uh, you know, I can maybe walk a hundred feet, but then I'll be exhausted. I have to sit down, mm -hmm. you know, get, get going again. So I walk in and I look like a freaking mummy because I have bandages over. All okay. you see is my my face and I had a ball cap on. And I remember friends being there, teammates of mine, a lot of my family. And then my wife calls out to my son and says, Wedo, that, that's mm -hmm. his nickname. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, Papi's here. And he comes running now and I hear his little feet hitting the, you know, the, the floor. And he sees me and stops. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh shit. Mm -hmm. He's scared of me. All, everything that I felt yeah. was coming. I was like, 
oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Then he just lo- he looks at me, tilts his head to the side, and says, Papi, I'm like, yeah, buddy. And comes up and gives me the most amazing yeah. hug I ever had. And, uh, the most amazing feeling I ever had mm-hmm. besides seeing him born. Mm-hmm. And, but mm-hmm. Gary was right. All my boy wanted was my his dad back. That's all he wanted was his dad back. <laughs> he didn't care what I looked like. Mm. He knew that was that, and he just wanted me back. Mm. Brother, that's such. Yeah, I've never done an interview where I don't know what to say. Like I literally, I don't know what to say. I think that's just amazing. I think uh, just amazing moment. Thank God, right? Yeah. Thank God. Yeah, uh, kids are resilient, dude. Uh, they really are. We kind of think they're not. Mm-hmm. But they really are. They, you know, they just try to adapt things to what they know. Yeah. Certain certain men are resilient, too. Certain men are resilient. And, um, by the way, he's drinking Jack and Coke, just so you guys know. If you're wondering what he's drinking. It's what real, so, it's what real men drink. It's what he, whiskey. Drink. So I, I drank tequila before the show, but he went, <laughs> he went Jack and Coke. So, um, I, uh, some men are real resilient. And <laughs> we, we don't, we, I think... You know, I know what's happening in the world right now listening to this, and I know how people are responding. But even with how deep we've gone, this is not just, see, you're listening to this in an hour. This was every minute of every second of this man's life. He was going through this pain and mentally, emotionally. And um, I, can't, I can't help but think back to what your dad said to you. I can't help but think back that that had some divine intervention involved and that it was preparing you for... Um, I mean, very few children go through their entire life by losing their parents at such a precious age like you yeah. did. And then, then what happened, I didn't know about what happened in college with your grandparents. Yeah. And then, then this. So I want to know, I think people would be interested to know, um, you know, first off, what about now physical pain? Uh, the only real physical pain I have is this hand. Uh, it's more like nerve pain that I get. So... If it wasn't for this, I probably wouldn't be taking any pain meds at all. Okay. Because I wanted to, because I don't take any of the heavy pain meds. I'll take uh, gabapentin and tramadol. Yep. They're not big, you know, mm-hmm. addictive pain mm-hmm. meds like, you know, Dilaudid, Percocet, all that. You know, I wanted to get off that right away. I was like, I, 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 gotta, I don't want to be on this. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'll tolerate the pain, so I don't have mm-hmm. to be on it. But this is only the real pain. I mean, is it correct? I think everyone needs to hear this. You've had over 100 surgeries. Yeah. I've had, I don't know, 130 plus now, something like that. Just Everybody, just process this, right? And so, um, you're, you're, just accept this. You're a legitimate, real-time, big-time hero. And I consider you, even though we kid around each other with each other quite a bit already, um, I consider you the most heroic person I've ever met. And, and by the way, also because it's just beginning. In other words, I just feel like we're at this particular chapter of your life. I have to ask you about some important things though. So, cause guys, he didn't just like, okay, I survived this. My son loves me. There's a lot more to this too. So what's it like? Just tell us for a minute. What's it like winning a purple heart? You know, it's a, here he goes. Watch it, this. It's an award that he, he, one doesn't want to receive because mm-hmm. it means that you got hit. Yeah, you got hurt. You know, you're out of the mm-hmm. the a fight maybe for a little bit or mm-hmm. for a while. for me. You mm-hmm. know, since that incident, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not out there with my teammates anymore. So it, it's it's a tough one to receive, mm-hmm. but 
it's also the oldest medal that the military had. It mm -hmm. was created by George Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, so it has that esteem, that, that kind of honor, mm -hmm. but still you still have that. It's like, man, I got this, but now I'm not out with my teammates anymore. But I think everybody needs to know this. He's also, everybody, the first 100% disabled person to re-enter the military and is currently, as of the time of this recording, active duty military with 100% disability, right or wrong? Yeah, right. Okay, so please give yourself some daggum credit, <laughs> right? So in the history of the military, first dude ever to re-enter active duty in the military with 100% disability. So you got the Purple Heart and you're back in the military. So let's just be giving you credit for that. Okay, look at him, put his head down. So this is, this is true. Who gave it to you, was it Bush? Uh, my Purple Heart, uh, the f I don't remember it. Okay. President Bush. Okay, uh, President he, Bush. He came to the hospital. You know, he, he, when he comes with the guys, he truly loves his guys. Yeah. He doesn't want cameras. He doesn't mm -hmm. want anything. He just wants mm -hmm. to be there with the teammate. And when he came to visit me, uh, it was in December. And the only reason I know this is because my wife told me, uh, you know, he talks to her in Spanish, you know, really? he's like, you know, being there for her and then he wants to come see me. And the doctors wanted to cover my face, mm. put a mask, and I was like, no, mm -hmm. I, want, I want him to see, mm -hmm. you know, my, my husband, you know. And there's a picture out there of me and him, mm. you know, when he meets me. And like I said, when you're in there, it's 90 something degrees yeah. and you got to be covered from head to toe. He went in there, uh, gave my purple heart, and stood there for 20 minutes just talking to me. Great, great. He was, my wife told me he was in there longer than some of your family members ever were wow. when they came to visit you. Wow. He just stayed in there. Mm. And then when I finally, you know, when I woke up and I was like, hey, DT, you got a purple heart? I'm like, well, when did this happen? Wow. I was like, yeah, President Bush gave it to you. He was like, oh, that's cool. I was like, well, you know, I wish I remembered it. So right. in June of 2006, they, they presented me my Purple Heart and an uh, Army Commendation Medal. Awesome. You know, and so by, you by met the him again then? No, the mm -hmm. Chief of Staff of the Air Force at the time. Did you ever meet Bush post that? Some reason uh, I thought I saw a picture of you. After that? Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. met him a couple more times after yeah, that. That's kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Did you meet President Obama ever after that? I, I never got to meet uh, okay. President Obama. I got to meet uh, Michelle you a did. lot. Okay. You know, she uh, she went to a lot of the uh, competitions, like the Invictus Games with yeah. Prince Harry, and she was there for a lot of stuff like that. So let's talk about that for a second. So now this guy, you segue. You're good at this, by the way. This is, you're good at this. You're segueing me right into my next question. So this guy goes through everything that he's gone through, and then he ends up becoming... Wins the silver medal at the Invictus Games for powerlifting in 2014, right? For Is that correct? That is correct. I think so, 2014. Yeah. So you won a silver medal. You should know when it is, brother. That's a big deal. <laughs> this guy with these medals is no big deal, right? And then in 2016, though, Invictus Games wins a gold medal and the shot put. So talk about that for a second. What's it like to go back and compete again, having gone through what you've gone through? I doubt when you're laying in that river... You know, or actually probably better when you wake up and they go, hey, here's the here's your life. Trach, breathing deal, uh, not going to walk again. 18 more months in here. Military's over. Uh, congratulations. I doubt you're thinking, you know, I'm going to go win a gold medal at the Invictus Games here within a few years. <laughs> this man also won the Pat Tillman Award at the ESPYs, which is where you first came on my radar. Um, Stalker. 
it's one of the most incredible four-minute speeches you'll ever see in your life. What did you say? <laughs> stalker. Yeah, stalker. Thank you. He keeps hammering me with stuff, you guys, just so you know, off camera. He's constantly doing this to me. Right when we meet, he goes, dude, I thought you were a lot bigger. You know? I, I meant height-wise, not like muscle-wise. Muscle-wise, you still look big, but, you know. Height-wise, I, your videos are very deceiving. I was like, use Photoshop. I was like, tell you? I'm thinking coming of, here, I was like, there's a lot of head I'm going to see this big, freaking muscle-bound head. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, I'm not going to be able to mess with him because he'll, he'll beat my ass. Would you please let the audience know that I'm still a very big man? Everybody, just so you know, what you he, see here, he, you are big. Yeah, thank you. you. Just not high. Just, just stop it. Yeah, okay, just stop it. <laughs> Whatever. Um, by the way, this guy said. Let me tell you how I first said I'm going to interview him. Can I tell him the story? We probably shouldn't yeah. say who it was. Yeah, you can tell. Okay, we should, so we're at the Super Bowl. This guy's sense of humor is just unreal. But we were at the Super Bowl, and he was. It was a big, huge room full of like a lot of really well-known people. I don't know how many people were in that room. Thousand, oh, God, yeah, maybe a thousand, thousand people. I, I in the room. Was huge. And this one, party, yeah, not, it was a huge pre-party, pre-party pre-Super Bowl yeah. party. And, tailgate, yeah, tailgate. Yeah, it was the tailgate of the Super Bowl. <laughs> and he comes up on the stage, Sage Steele, who's an amazing journalist for ESPN. She does a great job. But <laughs> she introduces him. And she basically introduced you by saying, hey, you're blowing up right now, right? And tell them what you said in front of the entire crowd back to her. You know, I have no stage for like, right. she's she's on the board of the Pat Tailman yeah. uh, thing. And so we've known each other for a couple of years now. She's amazing. Uh, great, great yeah. one. And when she says that, I'm thinking in my head, did she just really just say that to me? <laughs> I was like, so I was like, well, I'm going to get her. And so she says it, I'm like, kind of sage, that's kind of insensitive to say that to a, a guy that got blown up by a bomb. And she, I mean, the crowd lost it. The crowd the D, lost The DJ it. was dying, yeah, dying. And Sage was like, oh my gosh. I can't believe I just said that. That was the best moment. <laughs> so tough stuff now. A couple tough ones. Um, this is one of those interviews where if I could literally go 25 more hours, I would just keep going. Um, but real simple question. Probably not easy to answer, though. What did you learn through all this? Like, what's the takeaway? About yourself, about uh, life, about anything. What I, I took away from all what had happened to me mm-hmm. is like that my that my team was there, my family mm-hmm. was there for me. Uh, they didn't let me be by myself. Mm-hmm. They were there when I needed when I was having bad times. Uh, so I saw it after I finally got out, started to get stronger. I saw it as my mission now to be there for my teammates. Mm. Did I, uh, do I miss being an operator, being out there, mm-hmm. uh, outside the wire, you know, calling airstrikes? Yes. Mm. But I knew all these service members or anyone else out there in the hospital, they're my team now. Mm. I had to be there for them, how my team was there for me. So I started going to the hospital, talking to guys. I'm like, hey, man, I know this sucks right now. I was there, trust me. Yeah. But find your spark, find, find your fire inside you that will drive you. Mm. It can be anything, you know. You mm. may not think you have, but you do. And just stay positive, man. Mm. I was like, and I, I tell him, I was like, I'm not going to tell you I didn't have a bad day. Of course, you're going to have bad days, but mm. don't let that keep you down. Mm. It's like, you got this. Mm. We'll be here for you. Mm. So I saw it now as a giving back. Mm. So a lot of what I took away from my whole experience, like, be there for your teammates. Wow. Be there for people that need it. Do you think you ever would have thought, I think humans are capable of 
heroic things they don't think they're capable of. So if I'd have asked you two days before this incident, no, could you? Could, I would have never thought this. You know, I still it still dumbfounds me that people that this is my life. Yeah, not that that I regret. Oh, I wish it's like it's that people see me in a in a different light that mm-hmm. that I inspire and I motivate, and I'm like. Dude, I'm no one special, man. Mm-hmm. I was like, I just did what any other guy would have done mm-hmm. in the same situation. Be there for my teammates. Mm-hmm. Trying to get him motivated, get him going, get him to the, you know, to the mm-hmm. helicopter. You know, you know, people like to call me a hero. I like to mm-hmm. say I'm in, in, inspiring, that I'm motivating. But, you know, like, like I said at the ESPYs, man, I was like, I'm, I'm just a dude that had a bad day at work, man. That's all I am, man. I'm no one special, man. <laughs> Probably what makes you the most special is the fact that you don't know you are. Um, because here's the truth. Not everybody, everyone's capable of doing what you've done, but not everybody would have. And that's the difficult thing in life. Everyone's capable of turning their life around, which would be, you know, I'd mess this whole thing up if I didn't let people, one thing I told you that I think you do, is I think it gives people perspective. I'm not gonna impact everyone, I know yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But those one or two, they're really having a hard time. They're really giving up. And I mean really giving up on life. Yeah. And think they're at the darkest hour. And sometimes hear about me or hear mm-hmm. my story or have heard me and reach out. It's like, hey, sir, I was about 10. Yeah. And I heard how you went through it and how you came out ahead. I was like, gives me strength. Yes. And that's when it really hits me. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. And, but then I'm thinking, like, you know what? All that pain, all that suffering I went through was worth it. Because like, I got to help that one person yep. that really needed it. And coming back to just keeping to my dad's words, take care of your family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes people think I do what I do for just the military. I don't. When I do what I do is for anyone that needs it out there. Yeah. You know, a civilian, someone had a car accident, someone that's going through marriage, mm-hmm. someone that had a business thing, like you said. You know, you're taking care of your family. It's for anyone, man. Yeah. Well, that's what I want people to know. <clears throat> Sorry, you just get me a little choked up, not that choked <laughs> up. But um, what I want everybody to know is, I think this man is on the precipice of becoming one of the greatest forces for good and change on the planet. And you can bring him in. I'm doing it. Um, you can bring him in to speak to your group, to do an interview on the stage, or to communicate with them. And so you can, if you need to reach through me to get to him, you can do that. But you can also go to Israel's Instagram or Twitter. So tell them how to find you on both of those. Uh, my Instagram is IDT21. Okay. And then uh, my Twitter is idelToro21. idelToro21. Okay, so we'll put them both up on the screen on the YouTube. Those of you that are driving in your car, please make sure that you're following him because here's what's incredible in life. I consider you the most unforgettable person I've ever met. And ironically, it's interesting, but I want people to know, sometimes your biggest thing that you think is your detriment is also one of the things that makes you the most memorable. The truth of the matter is that your story is incredible, but also the visual impact, I think, too. Like, I was going to be honest with you. We've been talking about the fact that you've been burned, but 
since we've been talking on the phone together, since we've known each other, since we're doing this interview, the only time I actually remember it is when you tell me. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I, mean, I had someone else on my show, Nick, that I said the same thing to. It's like, when someone's got such a big presence about them, you forget it. But what's the most incredible thing in life, everybody, is that our dreams end up almost always showing up, and our tragedies, in ways we can't picture them. And so, when you got into the military, your hope was someday I could sit around with my grandkids <laughs> and say, let me tell you about my story to remember. Here's what's so incredible. Your great-grandchildren will be being told about you by your grandchildren without you even needing to be there. Your story is so incredible that 200 years from now, people in your family will be telling the story of their great-great-grandfather, DT, of Israel, of what he did they're gonna be, you won't even need to tell the story. All I want. Isn't that incredible? You know, like, that, that's that, a fact. That's all cool, but. Take all I, it. All, all I wanna be known as, like, I was a good teammate, a good husband, and a good father to my son. That's all I wanna be. And you known. took care of your family. That's, that's all. That's all. Everything, anything but else is, but is, is fluff. It's, but listen to me. Yeah. I think this is important, man, because you, you only hear these things from someone like me. When your dad said, take care of your family, little did you know that that was gonna be family members that you'll never meet. It's not just your son. So the ripple effects of the great things we accomplish in our lives, maybe it's even gonna dawn on you right now. The ripple effects of the great things we do in our life can impact people in ways we can't even imagine. Who you're becoming and what you've done is gonna take care of your family, and it's not just your wife, and it's not just your son, and it's not just your brothers and sisters. It's members of your family that may never even meet you, man. And so you've, to that extent, you've sowed the seed into your family. So when your dad was saying that, he may not even known that that's what he meant. Yet, this is so big and so incredible, and you are, that I just want you to understand that. And, and you're terrible at accepting compliments. So, so you're telling me I want to be the most famous del Toro than Benicio del Toro? I, don't, I can't tell you that you're gonna be the most famous, but I can tell you this, you will have made the biggest impact of any del Toro oh, until your son comes along and does something even greater, yeah. right? Until your great-granddaughter comes along and does something even greater. But you've done something, you did what your dad said, you've taken care of your family, and you've taken care of them in ways. There's a pride in your family, man, for generations now that they know they come from you. And that wouldn't have happened if you weren't the man you were and what you went through. And even though that's not easy for you to accept, millions of people right now that are listening to me are nodding their head in agreement. And all of you listening to this that are nodding your head, that are tearing up right now, you can change your family tree forever too. You can care for your family in your way, in your quiet way, going through. And what, what is amazing is that what you don't understand is the difficulty you're going through is the very thing that will build that story, that legend, that difference in your family about you. And I know we all have simple goals, but sometimes God chooses very simple people, man, to do extraordinary things in life. And I don't think this happened to you by accident. It was an accident that happened, but I think it was predestined to happen. I think when you were this little boy who lost his daddy at 12 years old and then lost his mom right after that, I think all of this was building up to this moment for you to be able to take care of your family in a way maybe even your dad never knew. And so I just want to tell you that as your friend. Wow. This dude retires, by the way. <laughs> 
April 27th, 2019, which is coming up here soon. I'm honored that you've invited me to be there, and I'm going to be there too. And I, I want to speak on behalf of millions of people and tell you thank you. And um, we're all proud of you and grateful for you. And I know that that matters most for you at home, but just know that that impacts reach beyond your home today. Oh, thanks, Ed. I appreciate it, man. You're amazing, dude. Thanks, brother. You're amazing. Thank you for being here today. And I want to challenge you still stay strong and finish strong. Uh, yeah, stay strong, finish strong, you know. All right, anything else you want to add to everybody? We uh, cover what you want. No, you, you know, you, you know, like I said, I'm very grateful they give me the opportunity to come, you know, tell this and mm -hmm. hopefully help someone out there that may feel like they're having a bad day and they can hear what I went through and how I overcame because that's the whole goal of this. Uh, yeah. uh, to, be able to be able to continue the words of my dad, take care of my family. So, like you said, everyone out there is my family. That's Anyone exactly that needs it, right. Anyone that needs it out there. That's right. Know? We're all a little bit of your family now. And yeah. so, thank you, brother. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Um, I don't need to tell you what you just heard here today. You'll come to your own conclusions. I know that you're right now thinking, who can I share this with that I love, that I care about? This incredible soul sitting to my left has made a difference in your life. And it's not a tactic or a strategy. It's who he is. It's his actual story, which is the biggest impact. I think you should be following him on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to bring somebody into your organization, your company, your team that can inspire them, I'm telling you, there's nobody better that you could bring in than him. And then in terms of the Max Out universe, you guys all know this. Every single week, I try to bring you somebody who's maxed out their life. If this gentleman to my left isn't a personification of what maxing out means, I don't know anyone walking on the planet that is. <laughs> and so I want to challenge you to share this program with people. It's the number one program in the world for a reason. And also remind you that I want to engage with you closer. So we're building a community. We're building the Max Out universe here. Israel's now a part of that group. And so every day on Instagram, I run the two-minute drill. And the reason that I do that is so that I can engage closer with you. That means is every day on Instagram, when I make my post in the main feed, within the first two minutes, if you just make a comment with the hashtag MaxOut attached to it, every day I pick a winner. Every single day from the people that post within the first two minutes on my main feed, winners get coaching calls with someone like Israel. They get to meet him or myself. They get Max Out gear, my book, all kinds. We're going to do a private jet secret trip here soon on my jet with winners. So make a comment within the first two minutes and you're part of the community. I read all of them. It takes me a while. I read all 2,000 of them every day. I can't comment to all of them. And then if you miss the first two minutes, make a comment every day on all my posts. At the end of the week, we add up people who just make a comment every day, no matter what time it is. We pick a winner from that group as well. So I appreciate your support, everybody. I know you love today's program. Please share it with the people you care about. God bless you and continue to max out your life. This is the Ed Milet Show.